Do you know I got excited when, uh, don't breeze down on the microphone, when um, Pastor Renee shared Psalm uh, 67. It's a great psalm. It's a fantastic psalm. In fact, I feel like preaching on that this morning, but I won't. Um, you know, there's a mistake in that psalm. I'm serious, there's a mistake. And... Um, you know, it starts off, the Lord be merciful unto us and bless us, cause his face to shine upon us. Why? That thy way may be known in all the earth, thy saving health among all nations. Then there's this refrain, let the people praise thee, O Lord, let all the people praise thee. And he goes on, um, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you, you judge the people righteously and then govern the nations on earth. And then there's the refrain again. Let the people praise thee, O Lord. Let all the people praise you. And the last verse is, um, Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. And it stops. I reckon they should have whacked the refrain at the end. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Because things happen when we praise God. Things happen when we we forget ourselves and forget who we are and what we are and just concentrate on God. And I've just used five minutes. That's a great intro. Great intro. Um, unfortunately, I don't have an Apple. Um, I've got an old, IBM, an old um, uh, computer and uh, all my fonts don't come through on the Apple. So that was really magnificent. Just pretend that's magnificent. But I've lost all the, uh, the font there. But we're preaching this morning about hope. When uh, Pastor and I, excuse me, well, let me say excuse me once because I'm going to be doing this all, all through the service. When Renee sent me a text saying, uh, we're going to preach on um, action out of the book of Acts, I thought, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. You know, you can't miss. You can preach on action from the, the, the contents of the book of Acts. And um, I thought, I'll, I'll just look at verse uh, chapter 1. There's just so much stuff here. And uh, if you've got your Bibles or your devices, Acts 1, 9 to 11, when Jesus had said these things, right, he's, he's been raised from the dead. He spent 40 days with the disciples, and he's about to ascend to heaven. They gathered together on the Mount of Olives. When Jesus had said this stuff, he was taken up and a cloud received him from their sight. And while they looked toward heaven, two men stood by in white clothes and said, Men of Namoy, women of Namoy, why stand gazing into heaven? I just made that up. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, is that too loud? I get excited. This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come again in like manner, just as you saw him go into heaven. The disciples had, had just spent three and a half years of a profound apprenticeship, learning and having Jesus reveal to them what the kingdom was all about. They journeyed around Galilee with him as, as itinerant preachers, They'd experienced his grace and his glory. They'd, 
they'd seen his miracles. They'd seen the raising of the dead, the healings, the walking on water, the, the cleansing of the lepers, the, the casting out of demons, the feeding of the 5,000. And just a few days ago, about a week before, not even that, they triumphantly entered into Jerusalem with him and all Jerusalem had hailed Jesus as the coming Messiah. They cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Surely, surely the kingdom had arrived. And then they were with him. Don't breathe down. Then they were with him as he was arrested. And they'd run away and they'd hidden as he was tried and crucified. And for three days, they were without his abiding presence. First time for three and a half years. Jesus wasn't with them until he arose from the grave he came back to them surely now the kingdom was going to be manifest now for 40 days he was with them explaining what was going to happen what their task was going to be and he revealed to them his action plan i got to fit these words in for Renee he revealed to them his action plan <laughs> And now they find themselves in the Mount of Olives, staring up in, into this empty sky as Jesus is taken from their sight. Jesus had, had promised them the Holy Spirit, but that hadn't happened yet. They, they had a taste of him, but they hadn't yet been immersed in him. And I believe their, their hearts were heavy as they gazed up into the sky and they found themselves alone again. Suddenly, Two blokes dressed in white. They doesn't say they were angels, but apparently they were angelic messengers, either that, or they were traveling salesmen selling Omo and personal, don't know. But um, two blokes dressed in white stood beside them and said, why are you gazing up? And they consolidated the revelation. See how I did that? They consolidated the revelation that Jesus had just given them. They said, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again, just as you saw him go. In other words, he's coming back. Just as you saw him go, he's coming back. And this truth has been known to the church ever since as what? What? Oh, for Pete's sake. The blessed hope. What's wrong with you people? Goodness. Let's go back to Psalm 67. <laughs> the blessed hope. Yeah, right. Now abides faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Actually, I'm good at rewriting the Bible. If I'd have written that, you can see why God didn't get me to write the Bible. If I'd have written that, I'd have said, now abides faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But the rarest of these is hope. The rarest is hope. Every generation of believers has known with a certainty that Jesus Christ is coming back again as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. You know, one of the great things about the Hebrew and the, the Greek language that the, the Bible was written in, the Aramaic, is that it's, it's a sta they're stable languages, they're constant languages. They don't change. What a word meant 2,000 or 4,000 years ago means the same today, unlike our English. Our English language is, is an evolving language. It's, it's not stable. It continues to grow. 
What a word meant 60 years ago doesn't necessarily mean the same today. Prime example is the word gay. Who remembers, who've got out there? I forget over this side where the oldies are. Oh, you're there, right? <laughs> Thanks for the pull, mate. Who remembers the, um, the cartoon series from the 50s, okay? The Flintstones. Oh, come on. Who can sing the jingle from the Flintstones? Meet the Flintstones. Okay, get on. Last line, we'll have a gay old time. Yeah. That, that line was, was taken to meant that they were going to be joyous and happy. Today, the word gay almost exclusively refers to homosexuality. Likewise, the word hope has lost its, its impact from 2,000 years ago. Today, the word hope has, has come to mean something of which we're really not, not, not certain, not sure. We, we use it for for wishful thinking. Hope springs eternal in the human breast. Excuse me again. I'm not going to say excuse But in scripture, the word hope means something in the, in the future of which we are sure and certain. It's not some wishy-washy maybe, it's a definite. When we say we hope Jesus is coming again, we mean we are certain Jesus is coming again. That's why the Bible describes those who, who are without Jesus, not just as, as, as those without God, even though they might have some form of religion, but those without hope. Paul writes to the, the church at Thessalonica and he says, Brethren, I would not have you to grieve as them that have no hope. We live in a society that's largely without hope. But as believers, we have a sure and a certain hope. And we need to be ready to give account to anyone for that hope that's within us. So what's, what reason do we have for having the hope that Jesus is going to come again? Well, one of the prime reasons is Christmas and Easter. You know, the birth, the death, the resurrection of Jesus didn't just happen out of the blue. Those events were foretold, they were predicted, they were expected, prophesied in hundreds of places in the Old Testament. For 4,000 years, the people of God were expecting Messiah and prediction after prediction had been given in detail from his virgin birth to the place of his birth, to the means of his death, to the nature of his ministry, Every single Messianic prophecy in the Old Testament was fulfilled to the, to the letter in the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus. One reason for don't breathe down. One reason for my hope in the second coming is that the same God who predicted the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus also predicted his second coming, predicted his return. And since every minute prophecy relating to Jesus' first coming came true, I believe all 319, that's how many there are, 319 prophecies relating to the second coming are also going to come to pass. But more than that, many of those prophecies you describe in detail 
the kind of situation the world's going to be in when Jesus returns. There's an astonishing correlation between our society today and the society that describes, the, 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 the society that's described as the society to which Jesus comes back to. Jesus said he was going to come back to a world that, where there'd be wars and rumours of wars. I was thinking about this at about four o'clock this morning. I don't think there has been one day's peace on earth since about 19, the late 1920s. It might actually go back further. Certainly since the Second World War, I know that there's not been one day of peace in the world. Somewhere on earth, there's been a war going on. Jesus said, I'm going to come back and there's going to be wars and rumours of wars. He said there'd be famines and earthquakes on an unprecedented scale. And he said he was going to come back to a situation that was parallel to the days of Noah and parallel to the days of Sodom. The extraordinary thing is that Jesus didn't condemn Sodom for its immorality. He condemned Sodom for its materialistic hedonism. Likewise, he doesn't condemn the society in which Noah lived for its violence, but for its materialistic hedonism. And don't breathe down. Jesus said they would eat and drink and marry and given in marriage. And that would be the level of their motivation. How much can I get to eat? How much can I get to drink? How much sexual gratification can I get? That'll be the condition of society that Jesus comes back to. He also said that Jerusalem was going to be in the hands of the Jews and not the Gentiles. Seventy years after Jesus' resurrection, the, the Roman general Titus totally destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus said not one stone is going to be left upon another. And that's what happened. They totally demolished the temple. Nothing was left. Totally, totally sacked the city. And for 1900, yeah, 1900 years, Jerusalem was in the hands of the Gentiles until June 1967. Who knows what happened then? Six-day war. Yep, six-day war. When Jerusalem again took control, Israel again took control of Jerusalem. Jesus said that Jerusalem was going to be in the hands of the Jews. He said the love of many would run cold. He said there'd be false messiahs. He said there'd be a time of religious confusion. He said that the church would be afflicted with false teaching. He said the gospel would be preached every tribe and nation and tongue before he returned. And all of these pointers come from Jesus' teaching. And he said, when you see these things happen, look up because your redemption draws nigh. In other words, look up because I'm on my way back. Settle down, right? Excited. You know, we have a reason for the hope that's within us. And although there's a hope of the Lord's return, the fact is that many people who say they have this hope don't show it. I want to finish this morning, by the way. Whenever a preacher says, I want to finish this morning, or a preacher says, finally, well, that's an exercise in hope. Don't believe them. <laughs> I want to finish this morning by looking at uh, 
some of the attributes that are going to be in the life of a person who has this hope, this sure and certain hope. How can you know when a person really has this sure and certain hope? Well, I believe one of the pointers is that they grasp as, as much of that hope as they can have now. Now. If a person says they're going to win gold, uh, gold swimming in the Olympics, yet like me, never gets into the water. Don't believe them. Not going to happen. If a person says to me they, they want to go into the ministry, yet they never study the word of God, they never develop a, a devotional life, they never spend time praying, they're not going to be a successful minister. If a young bloke comes to me and says, I like that Sheila, I'm going to marry her. Sorry, I like that young lady. Can't say Sheila in church. I'm going to marry her. And yet, never goes near her. Never talks to her or socializes her. Doesn't even stalk her on face, scroll or whatever. <laughs> but keeps trying to persuade me that he's going to marry her. Well, good luck with that, mate. You know, when he was in primary school, John Howard told his school friends he was going to be Prime Minister of Australia one day. When he was 11, he bet a kid in his class, 2Bob. Who doesn't know what 2Bob is? Very good. 20 cents. Two shillings. A lot of money back then. Two shillings. 20 cents. Bet him 2Bob that he was going to be PM one day. That ex-school chum was about 60 years old. I actually saw a thing on the, the news about him. He mounted it in, I think, a block of wood and sent it to Johnny Howard. He was 60 years old when he sent the newly minted Prime Minister of Australia, John Howard, his two shillings winnings. But John Howard didn't become PM just by chance. From an early age, he took every effort to get involved in politics. He was so doggedly persistent in his hope to become Prime Minister, he became known politically as Lazarus with a triple bypass. You know, he just was like a dog at a bone. And that's determined hope. That's hope with a certainty. I don't care if they vote me out, I'm going to get back in. If a person says, my hope is in the return of Jesus Christ, then certain things are going to appear in their life. Scripture says, whoever have the, has this hope purifies himself. Not should purify or might purify, but will purify themselves. I love the scripture from 1 John 3. 60s moment. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, children of God. Son, no, sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But this one thing I know, that when he shall appear, we shall see him and we shall be what? We shall be like him as he is. When Jesus appears, we'll be like him. I'm getting carried away. If you really hope to be like Christ one day, you'll take every opportunity to be like him now. Not then, but now. You'll grab every bit of Christ-likeness now. It's a choice that we decide to make now. Sure, we're not going to be as much like him now as we will be then. But we make the choice now to be like him. 
What's it on? Five minutes too, is it? Can't see with these lights on. Okay. No. Okay. Quite a few years ago, I used to be a regional police chaplain. Got a call from a duty officer in another city, hundreds of kilometres away from here. Everything's hundreds of kilometres away from here. But hundreds and hundreds of kilometres away from here. Could I go down and have a chat to him? So, jump in the truck, drive down. And um, he was just leaving the station as I arrived, so jumped in the paddy wagon and spent a few hours driving around doing some jobs and chatted and stuff. Just about finished. In fact, we were on our way back to the station. He gets a call to go to a house. And they'd found uh, a mother and son who'd been deceased for five or six weeks in this house. And um, anyway, we, uh, or he, had to go, so we rocked up. Just as we pulled up, two coppers, um, experienced cops, not newbies, came out from the, the door they had to break in. And one of the cops, really experienced female um, incremental senior constable, she takes two steps out the door and throws up in the rose garden because of what she just experienced in the house. And uh, there's about know, six, seven coppers out in the footpath as far away from the house as they could get, standing around, looking at their feet, sort of kicking the dirt, waiting for the, the duty officer to arrive. And um, they had to go in and clear the house. They had to get up in the ceiling, make sure... No, I don't know why you want to be in the ceiling, but make sure there's nothing in the ceiling, look under all the beds and open all the cupboards and behind all the curtains, you know, really search the place thoroughly. And um, this unfortunate mother and son had been locked up in that house, closed up, not a door or window open. It was uh, early February. They'd been there since about the beginning of January. Five, six weeks, not a day under 30 degrees. 30 to 38 degrees every day. And um, not the sort of thing you want to do every day. Anyway, they start to go back in and the inspector turned to me and said, you're right to come in, Ray? I said, yeah, no problem. I was lying. Um, I didn't want to go in there. The stench from 50 metres was bad enough. And we all traipsed in. I guess we had 10, 15 minutes and came out. Went back to the station. One of the sergeants sidled up to me and said, mate, none of us thought you'd go in. And um, I said to him, well, if Jesus were here, he'd have gone in with you. And as your chaplain, I'm meant to represent God's presence to you. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. You know, every day we're faced with a choice of either doing what Jesus would do or doing what our flesh wants us to do. And if we really have the sure and certain hope, then we need to manifest it in every day in our lives. If we really believe that there should be peace and justice for all, then we need to work to see peace and justice for all. Now. And that's contrary, I know, to what many of us have believed and been taught over the years. Many think we should hide away till Jesus comes back. I was looking at a, an old um, uh, Civil War hymn, um, Hold the Fort for I Am Coming, Jesus Shouts Across the Waves. You know, the, the image is that you're in the fort and you're fighting off the Indians. 
you're, you're walled from the world. But he expects us to live out that hope of his return. There's a, a program I used to watch just for fun on free to wear. I think it was called Doomsday Preppers. Did anyone ever see it? Yeah, it's a crazy program. Tragically, many of the people in that program professed to be believers, be Christians. And there they were building their subterranean bunkers with landmines surrounding the property and explosive charge. One guy had a working Abrams tank with a 120 millimeter gun mounted on it, just in case. <laughs> Jesus said, whoever has this hope does something about it now. And I don't think he meant that. We need to activate the consolidated revelation that we've received now. The reason why our five-year-old grandchildren and kids aren't going down into the coal mines every day, 16 hours a day for seven days a week, is because one of my personal heroes, a guy that hardly anyone ever talks about, was in the 1820s, 1830s, by the name of Lord Shaftesbury. He, he used to write at the top of every letter that he ever sent away, this, even so, come Lord Jesus. Because he believed that when Jesus came back, he was going to bring justice and children wouldn't have to go down into the coal mines. He said, I'm going to work for that now. And it was because he had that hope that Jesus would put everything right that he got on with making things right now. He activated that hope now. That's the Bible's emphasis, that those who, who love is appearing and hope it is appearing will try and put things right now. You know, we don't need to wait till Jesus comes to be Christ-like because we've got the Holy Spirit within us. We can be like him now. Whoever has this hope gets on with it now. You become the, the most useful citizens. You become the most practical neighbours. You become the most loyal and consistent and generous and involved church members. You become the people to which others look because you have a hope and a certainty with which you live every day. In 2 Peter 3, after um, this wonderful description of, of Jesus' return, you find this question. What sort of people are we to be now? Now, this morning. Now abides faith, hope, and love. Now. Thanks, Pastor. I'll pray then. Lord, over and over again, your word says now. Now is the acceptable day of salvation. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Father, we pray that you'd so infuse us and baptize us with your Holy Ghost that we'd become a people who really are your kingdom people in this community. Lord, we pray that all we do and all we say and the way we act would be a demonstration of your kingdom now 
Teach us not to look forward with expectation to the second coming. Teach us just to act as if you're here now. We thank you, Father, for your grace and your goodness. We thank you, Jesus, that you give your life infused and instilled into us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you empower us to be the people we're called to be now. In Jesus' name, for his glory, we pray. Amen and amen.